I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. Lots of news, but just one story today, as we reflect on the media's response to the global coronavirus pandemic, how broadcasters are changing their output to meet new demand, and the precarity of being a freelancer. Plus, news of the pandemic breaks inside the Big Brother house, and how the government's relationship to the media has changed since the outbreak. And in the media quiz, we learn how to effectively work from home from some of the most celebrated writers in the world. It's all to come in today's media podcast. Now, just before we get going, I just want to say up top, obviously the world has changed dramatically since our last recording. So uh, we all here hope that you are safe and well and still finding a way to make a living through this crisis. We are recording remotely today, so you can anticipate some odd background sounds and awkward pauses. Uh, But we do have an all-star panel for you. First up, it is none other than The Guardian's media editor, Jim Waterson. And Jim, you are an agile, tech-savvy kind of journalist. How has the pandemic actually changed the way that you work? Uh, I'm already going mad after two days at home uh, with my partner who is also running Huffington Post from our front room. Actually, HuffPost, she'll kill me if I use the old name, HuffPost from our front room while we share one Wi-Fi connection. So it's going great. Yeah. (laughs) So good for news, bad for sanity. Uh, I I am learning so much respect for anyone who can structure their day while being at home. I have no self-control. I keep forgetting I still have to do the work while also sitting on my bed. Uh-huh. Uh, also joining us today, uh, she moved to Bristol and then thought she'd never get to be on the media podcast again. But hey, remote recording has been the salvation she was waiting for. It's digital editor at Immediate Media, Rebecca Messina. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. Uh, Rebecca, when we last spoke, you were a news junkie, but you now work in, in lifestyle journalism, basically. Is this a good time for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, especially right now is an amazing time. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's great for news as well because people are glued to it. But also, you know, people are stuck at home. Uh, they're going through their Instagram and that's where we like to get them. Um, and obviously, you're stuck at home. So you start thinking, how can I improve this and make it a bit less crap? Um, and that's where we come in. We've got all of the so, ideas and so advice. news. So like, because I mean, if you go on Jim's website, I think it's reasonable to call The Guardian your website, Jim. Uh, oh, absolutely, if you go on there. Yeah. You'll see that the the 10 most read stories are all about, you know, the schools shutting down and can children play with each other and, you know, what's the Chancellor going to announce today? What are the things that people are looking at? What do they find solace in when they're looking at interior furnishings? 
Well, there's a bit of crossover at the moment, actually. Um, it's not just escapism. People are looking at how they can modify their homes to work from home in a bit more comfort. Of course, um, and also yeah. the well-being side, you know, how do you separate your work life and your personal life when they're basically happening in the same, you know, five square metres? Well, uh, also with me, someone who I'm sure is absolutely no stranger to professional quality audio stuff at home. Uh, it is the MD of Folder Media, Matt Deegan. Hello, Matt. Uh, hi, Ollie. I'm here in Ellsfield today, Ollie, uh, working from home. All of us at Folder Media and Fun Kids are working from home at the moment. So lots of Zoom calls every morning to kind of catch everybody up. Uh, and all of our presenters for the children's radio station, Fun Kids, are now working from home. And we've got gear in all their houses so they can do their shows from there. And I notice, I mean, you always seize the day, Matt. But I notice you have launched a daily podcast for kids who won't be in school. How quick a turnaround was that from idea to execution? Uh, so new podcasts uh, called Stuck at Home, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we've been working on it for about a week or so. We thought that the announcement uh, would come relatively soon about kids work, um, having to uh, study or just be at home. Uh, so we've been planning it for a little while, um, but we have accelerated it slightly uh, and that launched on Friday. Impressively quick work. Um Actually, Lord Hall has just announced, hasn't he, as part of the BBC response to all this coronavirus stuff, a whole new iPlayer experience for children. Do you know what that's going to be, Matt? Um, I don't really. I don't know how much of it's actually connected to some of the plans CBBC and CBBC's had anyway. Uh, I think they're, they're going to um, think more about uh, it as, a, as it not being a version of iPlayer, uh, but it more being a sort of kids' environment. Um, so I think they've probably been working on that uh, already. But I think they're definitely going to try and clear more content for it. Um, and, uh, you know, we're talking to the BBC and BBC Sounds about whether any fun kids material should go on their platforms too. Yeah, I mean, you'd think given the scale of the engineering task and the general speed of BBC turnarounds that this can't be something they've conceived just in the last week. No, no I, I imagine, imagine not. not. <laughs> so it's, the, it's the banker. Hello? <laughs> yeah, 100 grand. No deal. Uh, another thing I should ask you, Matt, since you're there, uh, you're one of the organisers of the British Podcast Awards. Are you still going ahead with that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, we've had to change some of our uh, British Podcast Awards dates. Uh, so our nominations are going to be live streamed on the 19th of May. Uh, and we've put the awards back uh, to July the 7th. Uh, Tuesday, July the 7th at the Roundhouse in Camden, uh, which we're hopeful uh, can still go ahead. But obviously, we'll keep an eye on uh, the news uh, and see where we all are as a country as we kind of get into June. Yeah, what a ball like having to kind of make backup plans for the backup plans. Uh, yes, I mean, it's it's uh, all unique. We've been very, uh, the venue's been very supportive. Uh, sponsors have been very supportive. I mean, everybody's in the same boat in some way or another. So everyone's uh, trying to help out where they can, uh, which is good. Uh, but no, I mean, we're still, we still want to have a, a nice big uh, ceremony. Uh, hopefully it'll have lots of people there other than just me and Matt sitting in the roundhouse on our own on the 7th. <laughs> Talking about what podcast you like. <laughs> yeah, we booked it. We paid for it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand there. <laughs> I mean, do you think for the big glitzy award ceremonies, Jim, that it is worth them going ahead with a pared down version at all? I mean, just last night, the RTS uh, awards went ahead supposedly behind closed doors. I think the Olivier Awards are planning to do something. 
it's just it's something a bit embarrassing about kind of you know winning a lifetime achievement award and no one stands up in the room to say well done i don't really think anyone cares right now do they i mean haven't we all got a lot bigger things to be worrying about i'm not sure that a lot of these shows um will be you know people will not be in the mood for them for several months mm. there'll be a a demand for some innovative way of filling airtime uh when we're all still stuck inside in the summer um and secondly there'll be you know i think people will be starting to wonder what the business model is behind a lot of these things because you'll need to be able to get punters in the room in order to make the events work financially and yeah. uh, as matt is seeing that's that's a challenge and actually, probably the most obvious change to a live audience scenario that we're going to see in the next week. Well, they're doing question time, aren't they, without an audience on BBC One. But I guess you can sort of imagine how they do the questions remotely. Uh, but Rebecca, Ant and Dec's Saturday Night Takeaway is going ahead this weekend with no live audience on that big shiny floor Saturday night show. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when people who didn't have much going on in their own lives could, you know, sit and watch TV and watch a, you know, a live entertainment show and feel that sense of involvement. But um, yeah, now we're not even going to get that. Um, and it also means they've had to cancel the finale, which was going to take place uh, in Florida, Disney World. Um, obviously, that's not going to be able to happen now so uh, yeah it's going to be a very very muted affair and jim what extra programs can we expect from the public service broadcasters in the weeks to come because it's not just repeats is it they have scheduled new things as well uh well we you will see every variety of coronavirus news coverage you can imagine but things will be getting uh more limited you'll have the same release schedule for a lot of dramas and things but EastEnders has already been cut in half from four to two episodes a week to make sure it lasts at least a few more months before they run out of already filmed material. And I think the real thing is by the summer and the autumn, you'll really start to notice those big holes in the schedules. There's just there isn't there just isn't the stuff to fill it. And I wonder whether that means we might see some rising stars, uh, you know, in the sense that we did with Brexit, you know, perhaps, you know, the Brexit cast guys, for example, uh, whether out of coronavirus, there may be a journalist somewhere within BBC News who's perhaps a bit underexposed at the moment who might suddenly come through as the voice we all turn to. I mean, that's entirely I mean, possible. But uh, I mean, I think the thing that they really need to focus on is is just making sure that they remain on air. I think that's the main focus rather than trying to work out who's going to be the breakout star. Do you, do you think it's the right decision, Matt, to have... Uh, I mean, we've talked about the cancellation of Victoria Derbyshire before. They've now temporarily suspended the show, but presumably there won't be much of the run left when they reinstate it. But do you think it's the right decision to take off shows like that Politics Live as well, and those kind of news-ish shows that aren't really the news, uh, Andrew Neil show, etc. Is the right idea to pull those? I think on the news channels and, and even on a, a BBC Two uh, sort of simulcast, people just want the facts, don't they? They want they want the the one big story, um, and flip, flipping off into features or to um, things like uh, Politics Daily and all that kind of stuff. I, I think people would sooner just have the regular news channel feed. Also, it's obviously easier to make uh, and they can deploy different people to, to generate the same sort of output rather than uh, you know shows falling apart over a couple of weeks if um, a few of the production team become ill. And Rebecca, lots of newsrooms are now having to cover more ground with fewer staff, either out on the streets, of course, or in the building. How, how do you think they're coping? Well, it's very difficult, obviously, um, and especially in print journalism um not to get super technical uh, but there's you know obviously a lot of people involved in the supply chain and it's causing a real headache at the moment you know um 
newsrooms are generally able to work online and do everything digitally but when it comes to actually getting the product out be it a magazine or a newspaper you know you are faced with the question of what do you do if the printer decides to suspend operations what do you do if the distributors can't you know get the copies out there and also if people aren't going out and buying them yeah and you think as well about the free sheets i mean it's it's bad enough obviously for the paper copies of the newspapers in news agents but the ones that rely on commuters picking them up on the tube metro evening standard it's not going to look good for them no good loo roll substitute though <laughs> i'm laughing but that is very much indeed where we're all heading isn't it uh, jim have you noticed that change at the guardian as well that um i suppose obviously there's a lot of uh, uh effort put into the guardian's website but an equal amount of effort probably with the print edition of the newspaper under normal circumstances i'm guessing that isn't the case now if fewer people are picking it up well, we're, we're, we're really committed still at the moment to making sure it gets out and that the still substantial number of people who buy the print newspaper every day can get their copy. Uh, there is, you know, earlier deadlines, uh, efforts to make sure that copy is simplified, that templates on the design pages are made easier to slot things into. Basically, anything that can be simplified has been simplified to make sure that we keep getting the paper out because there's still... There's still that desire in a print newspaper newsroom to make sure that that daily product gets out, even when we're seeing the enormous traffic online. There's sort of a, a point of pride as much of anything. And I wonder what any of you have noticed kind of out in the wild that perhaps the general public don't. I mean, it's, it's very obvious that we're recording this remotely. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if you consume, for example, the Cambridge News, I think are now operating completely virtually. If you listen to Ian Dale on LBC, you might not realise he's using a home studio. Do you think generally, actually, the technology is keeping up? I think so. I mean, it's been interesting with Fun Kids uh, and all the presenters uh, doing shows remotely. Uh, there's no one uh, in our office particularly. Um, there's a lot of cloud-based operations for the radio station anyway. And there are lots of things that we, you know, that we we do all do because that's how things have always been done. And this has definitely pushed us into producing things in a slightly different way. And what about general tips, actually? Would anyone like to suggest some online resources for writers, for journalists that they've been using that perhaps they don't normally? Well, one thing that has amazed me is is that seeing people, uh, not necessarily in our newsroom, but in others, coming to terms with stuff that I thought was pretty obvious in terms of uh, chat rooms and stuff like that. Uh, it's amazing to see how many news operations still run on email accounts and reply alls and things like that. So getting yourself uh, on Slack and stuff like that is uh, a massive help. Um, but I, I do think that this is going to hasten a lot of changes that were probably going to happen anyway, that yeah. we'll see places that were going to struggle or might have closed their print edition in a few years' time, bring it forward and just go, right, this is the moment, let's let's go online only or let's get rid of that thing that we were always going to get rid of under the cover of coronavirus. Yeah, and that looking at the research from Beck to Matt, I don't know if you saw the survey that they did, but... 71% of freelancers in the creative industries said they were worried about paying the bills because of the coronavirus epidemic. And that's because of, you know, productions being cancelled and then being on freelance contracts. But you sort of think, 
yeah, okay, some of this will resume again after the virus, but some of it, as Jim suggests, people might actually look at their balance sheets and say, well, we don't need that. I think suddenly a different way of working, you do consider, is it a better way of working or or, or the output that was produced? How do people respond to it? Um, Do you need to do things the way that you did before? Um, I think the bigger issue for lots of media organisations is there's going to be a massive decline in advertising um, and can those uh, organisations kind of keep going uh, through the next uh, three or four months. Um, The government have obviously talked about loans but you sort of think oh if you've got a marginal business already and you're taking on X D hundred thousand pounds of loans, is that worth it? Will you ever be able to pay back that money? Um, and that's going to be the the big thing for for smaller radio stations, for smaller independent newspapers, um, or um, or digital products that have have kind of been marginal but have sort of been existing off you know the digital advertising ecosystem. You know, I think a lot of companies. Uh, you know, across the whole country are going to close, but it is a big threat to, to media. I mean, Rebecca, do you find your suite of tools that you're using to be different when you're working from home? Um, I do miss my ergonomic setup, actually, more than any more, more than anything technical. I, I do miss my desk chair with its, like, proper adjusted arms. Um, actually, yeah, quite similar to what Jim was saying, um, Slack, which I was very used to using um, where I was before, uh, at the new company, it's not such a widespread thing so it's been really good to like get more people interested in using slack because it is so makes things so much easier and simpler especially when you've already got all your ordinary amount of emails coming in if you then had all of the little things that normally someone would just ask you in person or call you on your desk phone or something if you've got those emails coming in on top then obviously it's very easy for it to get out of control so anything that can reduce the amount of emails that are coming in front of your eyes i think is um is massive help so we're, u- we're using Zoom and Slack quite a lot. What's interesting with the Zoom conference calls uh, is actually more people are involved now in our daily meetings because we're doing it all together. And so oddly, I think quite a few more people are, uh, are suggesting ideas and getting involved in areas that they didn't normally get involved in. Uh, and then on Slack, kind of following up with, with their own thoughts. So oddly, we're more communicative as a company now split apart than maybe we would have been in the office. And who do we think is going to have a good coronavirus in terms of media coverage? I mean, it seems to me if BritBox doesn't work now, it never will. Well, I think the BBC has just saved itself and guaranteed its funding for the long term in the space for about a week and a half. And we've got many, many months of this to go. I can't see any government having the uh, will uh, to, to take an axe to the BBC after the level of audience that it's attracting and the sort of commitment to educational programming that is programming that's already doing um this is you know they they if you're going to look at it in that way you they couldn't have asked for a better crisis yeah it's something actually to give him credit that faraz osman predicted on our last edition i mean this is auntie being auntie isn't it Absolutely. And it's what the BBC is really good at, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they, they are well resourced compared to lots of commercial media. Um, they can uh, deploy people and resources, of, even when uh, a decent chunk of them are going to be ill or, or self-isolating from home. They've built the systems to deal with this stuff. And they've got access to lots of content, uh, both things they're making at the moment, but historical material that can be uh, recut or repositioned um, to put to air. And it really plays to the strengths of local radio as well, doesn't it, Rebecca? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think in a way it's been a little bit of a of a renaissance for 
TV and, and radio news, you know, people are used to getting news online now, but in an event like this, there's so much misinformation online. I think people are actually more, especially because it's not really a political issue, you know, so people don't have that same distrust that they did, you know, that we saw around the election. I mean, we talked about it when I was um, on the podcast before about all the distrust surrounding the BBC and its election coverage. You don't really have that so much in this. And I think people do then look again to, you know, traditional news sources rather than the than getting their news online. And in particular, that older, vulnerable audience who are going to be staying at home as well, they're not the most web-savvy of audiences either. You'd much rather they got their news from, from broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be, you know, not to sound patronising, but I think that uh, TV and radio is obviously going to provide a lot of companionship to elderly and vulnerable people who are not going to be getting their usual, um, you know, social activity. And what about streaming, though? I mean, I mentioned BritBox, but I mean, also Disney Plus about to launch as well. Again, you really couldn't think of a better time for them to launch the entire back catalogue of kids entertainment that they own than right now when the schools are closed. I think the rise of um, you know, Netflix, uh, BBC iPlayer uh, and what Disney Plus is going to do uh, is also going to ex- probably accelerate um, the decline in linear television oddly at a time when linear television is hugely important but what are we seeing we're seeing uh, the, the BBC specifically doing incredibly well on uh, news current events live reflecting how the world is uh, and then what's going to do well on the other side on the on-demand end is is catch up is a uh, box sets uh, is entertainment and I think that's probably a microsm of uh, the way media and particularly television consumption is going to go. And Jim, there's been a lot of coverage about whether or not, well, a lot of gossip, I suppose, about whether or not the ISPs um, and people's home broadband connections and the likes of Netflix, etc., will actually be able to cope with the demand, whether the internet might break under the strain somehow. Yeah, I mean, so far it sounds like they're experiencing peak levels compared to the evening, but the issue is is really what happens when everyone is home. I mean, we're still at the point where... There's a number of people, especially in London and the southeast, working from home in certain jobs that allow you to do that. But if we do go on to a full national lockdown, you'll see the networks really working hard to to keep keep themselves online. But it also shows that this is they're now crucial government tools. You know, these are things that uh, a country can't really function without. So I'm sure the government will be looking at looking to put a lot of pressure on uh, on them to keep going. And the EU has been talking about maybe asking the big players to stream in. SD uh, and stop doing 4K, stop doing HD so that there's more to go around. Do we think that might happen? I think what we'll see is that the services themselves, um, the HD or the 4K will just stop working and you'll get de- delivered the stream that the network can can best cope with. I think also it shows about infrastructure. You know, Netflix puts boxes in ISPs that cache content uh, and then distribute it on so they're not sending everything from one uh, mega server somewhere. Um, you know these services that are, that have been well battle tested over the years are probably in a in a better position to do well now. Okay, we'll be back with more media news, but just the one story really after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the." F- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Media Podcast. Rebecca, Matt and Jim are still virtually with me. Uh, let's talk about how the information about the pandemic is reaching us in this constantly shifting situation. Uh, Rebecca, Health Secretary Matt Hancock used the Sunday Telegraph to update us on the government response to COVID-19 over the weekend, but that proved controversial. Yes, it was actually behind a paywall. Uh, so it meant that that information that he had kind of given exclusively to them, although, I mean, obviously the gist of it you could access on in lots of sources, but his specific uh, comments to the Sunday Telegraph were... Yeah, he wrote a column, only- didn't he? Yeah, we're accessible. Sorry, I said that in a really brusque way. Yes, that column was only accessible to subscribers, which uh, obviously created quite a stir on social media where people thought it's not really fair for the health secretary to be kind of uh, selling off his exclusive insights into the crisis to a paying audience. Jim, do you know how that came about? I mean, I wonder whether the conversation was even had. Do you think Matt Hancock realised it was going to be behind their paywall? I mean, to be fair, I think after everyone piled on, they took it out from behind a paywall after about 10 minutes. And I think it says less about the fact that the information was behind it and more that they didn't really think through how that looks. I mean, if you're trying to reach the public, to be quite frank, putting an article in the Sunday Telegraph is not the way to reach a mass audience in this day and age. So it is slightly unusual. And I think this week with these daily press conferences, you've actually started to see a proper operation swinging to gear where you get a single source of information on a daily basis dominating the agenda. But still, they're being very slow to knock down things that they later dispute. And they don't seem to be capable of keeping up with the number of messages floating around on WhatsApp in particular. Yeah. I mean, Jim, you used to cover politics more specifically. Mm. How do you think the pandemic has changed the government's relationship with the media? We talked before about, you know, perhaps the changing attitudes to the BBC might be put back in their box a bit. But more generally than that, there was a real suspicion of the media from this government, wasn't there? And a real sense to control, particularly the amount that Boris Johnson was seen and where he was seen, ministers on the Today programme and all of that. That seems to have evaporated now. Yeah, well, I think they've realised we're facing one of the greatest crises that the country has ever faced and that it's not a time to be messing about with trying to bully the today program into giving you a few more minutes of whoever you want um this is i think the magnitude is starting to sink in for everyone and that this is going to live for many 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 months and that large numbers of people we know will die and that this is not a time to be messing about and frankly the bbc is delivering largely unfiltered uh promotion of government advice in a crisis through a trusted outlet And that is invaluable if you're a panicked Downing Street operation. 
and you know in some ways this is there's definitely a sense within the BBC of them going look we can handle this guys we know what we're doing here but then I suppose the flip side of that is um do people feel do the general public feel Matt that there is enough cynicism about for example the daily press conferences it's really important to get that news out there and to cover them live of course it is but perhaps some of the questioning that used to be there you know, some of the deeper work into what the MPs were telling us is absent at the moment. It is, but I think what helps Boris and Co is uh, a, a doctor or well, a chief medical um, spokesman and a scientific spokesman uh, standing next to him. And obviously, quite a lot of the time, he's milled me. Quite a lot of the time, uh, he's fielding questions to either of those. And I think what people do trust, uh, no matter what some people argued before, is they do trust science and, and medicine to, to tell us the truth. Uh, and I, and I, I think people are giving the benefit of the doubt um, to the government for the moment. And the questions are there at the end, and, it, and it's good that they keep those live as well. Um, I think what's interesting is, uh, obviously, there's, there's not a huge amount of Parliament covered at the moment. Uh, whether they'll be able to be allowed to be in there is, an, is another question. There was some discussion today about, are we heading for a sort of government of national unity because the opposition can't really exist and, and do its job at, at a time like this? Do you think that the daily televised press conferences should have started sooner, Matt? I think they were using their regular playbook uh, and hadn't really considered um, how to how to do this properly. Um, I think they're all obvious things once you start doing them, uh, and it's definitely uh, working for them better than their initial press strategy. I mean, Rebecca, there is another side to this, which is obviously the increase in anxiety we're going to see from people that are immersed in this coverage because it's on 24 hours a day and are self-isolating and perhaps not seeing anyone and are worried about their health. Um, where you think for some of those people, you know, I think about my 93-year-old grandmother who's been, you know, living in her flat by herself for a week already. You think, God, just stop listening to it. Stop watching it. Because actually you are you are isolated. You've, you've taken the advice. You are washing your hands. There's a point at which this information is not going to help you really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, but it is absolutely impossible to get away from, you know, even if you're the sort of person who prefers, you know, uh, old media, doesn't spend a lot of time online. Well, the newspapers are full of it. All the TV shows are talking about it. There's not really a lot of escapism uh, available. And yeah, you're right. I think, you know, we've been talking a lot in recent years, you know, about mental health, well-being, etc. And I think this is going to have a, a huge impact um, on people old and young, really. I mean, humans, at the end of the day, we are, we are social creatures. We're meant to be around friends and family. So I think this is going to have a very long-term emotional ramification as well as an economic one. And I wonder if that, Jim, is, is one of the reasons why you're seeing uh, viewership boosts to some slightly nostalgic content. Um, there was uh, Belgravia, of course, on ITV, which is the new Julian Fellows thing. And, and then their sitcom, studio sitcom, Kate and Koji, scoring overnight ratings of five million viewers. Well, it does help if you trap everyone inside and make them make them make them, you know, limit their options and get them watching TV again. I think I think one of the strangest things is we're going to see incredibly high TV ratings as basically people don't leave the house for several months. Mm. Uh, I mean, daytime viewing alone is sort of up. Uh, something like a hundred percent already, and that that again, as we keep saying, is before the vast majority of people are working at home. I think from a mental health basis, one of the best things to do is to put music radio on, 
Um, I've had a, a bit of that on today. I've been listening to some some Radio One. Uh, a good combination of of songs of of reflecting the nation and everyone you know working together uh, and a bit of news uh, on the hour on and the half hour. Um, I think that's that that's a, a good uh, a good mix if you want to get off LBC or, or Radio Four for a while. And I would like to talk briefly about the people who were the last to know about the global pandemic, which is those locked in Big Brother. <laughs> they are still making Big Brother all around the world. Um, did you see this story, Matt? Germany's Big Brother decided to tell the housemates about the pandemic live and on air. I think it's great. I think it's the it's the perfect Big Brother story, isn't it? Um, suddenly an eviction has a slightly sinister feel, um, as does introducing a new housemate. Um, but uh, but you know that's that's that, that's the interesting thing about Big Brother, isn't it? You know, it's they are locked away, and it it, it is interesting because you all think, oh, what would I do? Or I wish I was in there. But it, Rebecca, it was presented as if the producers were in some ethical dilemma. You know, oh, should we tell them about the coronavirus? It seems to be quite straightforward that they definitely should. Well, yeah, I mean, they were living in lovely ignorant bliss. Um, but obviously, you know, I think there would have been far more of a. Uh, an outcry had they not been told. I mean, obviously, they were all themselves relatively safe in the house, but obviously concerned about their family and friends on the outside. But I mean, obviously, this is nothing new for the franchise. I mean, it was on Big Brother India that Jade Goody was told she had cervical cancer live on air. But a decision that was much derided in Europe, though, and here they are in Germany doing the same thing. I mean, also, the other weird thing is it's basically the plot of Dead Set, isn't it? Which is the Charlie Brooker thing from about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And um, br- the Brazilian version resisted telling the housemates quite a long time. They initially said they weren't going to tell them, but I think they have now uh, U-turned on that. I suppose the issue isn't so much whether they tell them, but whether they film their reactions. That's the prurient thing, isn't it? I mean, that's what feels uncomfortable is 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 dressing up as entertainment the moment at which you find out there's a global pandemic oh come on if you're on big brother then i think you know what you're into don't you uh where do we see this going not in terms of the virus obviously but in terms of the media what are your predictions for the next three months in our business rebecca um i think we're going to see the acceleration of the decline in print media which obviously has been a top of conversation for you know well over a decade at this point um, I think there's a positive side to it, though. I think it's going to spur media companies to work more on their digital offerings to make sure that there are nice working, clean app versions of their newspapers and magazines, because that's been a problem for a long time. I know lots of people who refuse to download certain apps because they just are very notoriously buggy and they yeah. don't work. So I think it's going to have, I think, you know, although on the surface it might be a decline in terms of print, I think we might see a corresponding improvement in terms of the glitziness and efficiency of digital offerings. Yeah, they're going to really be working out those pop-ups, aren't they? Because they can't afford to have you log off, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jim? I think it's going to be really bad. Um, I think it's going to be really, really, really grim for a lot of places that rely on ad revenue when advertisers don't have anything that they want to sell in the short term and you will see places really struggle and we've already seen that all of the freelance crew who I know who work on TV documentaries um, who you know the pay's good when you've got work and it's not when you haven't and right now they are looking at an empty summer so both on the human element and on the corporate element it's going to be really rough. Yeah, but taking what Rebecca was just saying about the digital offering perhaps being slightly pimped up in terms of uh, the way it's presented to an audience, maybe that's the case with advertising as well. I mean, obviously, you know, you're not going to be selling as many cars and dishwashers, but perhaps you 
are going to be selling more hard on the digital products that people can buy from home. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's one cause for optimism and that, you know, maybe some streaming packages and some gaming adverts can, can take up the slack. But when you think that something like between the 20th and the 10th of all ITV revenue is from holidays, um, you start to realise the scale of what we're, we're up to here. You just have to watch any ad break on TV or listen to commercial radio to see uh, and ask yourself how many of those companies are going to be selling much in the next three months. Yeah, sobering. Uh, Matt? Probably still quite negative, actually. Uh, Local commercial radio revenues were down 15% year on year. Uh, National held up um, uh, pretty solidly. Uh, But I think local commercial revenue is probably going to halve, I imagine, uh, in the next few months, maybe maybe even worse. And so at a time when actually stations are doing their best job of representing their communities, they, they'll see that their, their core business model pretty much vanish. So uh, it, yeah, the government's bailing out a lot of things, whether you know, media or local media is something that, that they've, they've still got money in the purse to, to spend on, we'll see. Uh, but I think it's going to be uh, quite an attack on the business models for for radio specifically. Yeah, and that really would, in that instance, be the death now, wouldn't it? We've been talking about the death of print for a very long time, but actually, commercial radio, whilst we've been talking about it, has all been bought up by the big players. The ones that are left are in a very precarious position. And they are, but I think, to be honest, I think it's the it's the standalone ones that are that are in the worst worst position. Um, you know, the national bro- the national broadcasters or the groups that now run local radio stations as, as national networks um you know they're on a, on a path uh, which is uh, will be completely 100 percent national revenue orientated so it'll be, be less affected by the change in local um but they'll still be affected too and you, you think of something like global you know their two big markets are uh, radio and a chunk of that delivered locally and outdoor and i can't see you know outdoor advertising being the choice uh, for many brands for the next few months yeah Okay, well, I'm going to try and lighten the mood (laughs) because there is just enough time to squeeze in our legendary media quiz. Uh, One result of the contagion risk is that the world has suddenly woken up to working from home, uh, evidenced by trending hashtags offering tips and advice. God knows who needs actual tips to sit at their kitchen table on their laptop. But if you are going to take advice, uh, The Guardian compiled some of the best this week. I'm going to read a quote from four of our most celebrated writers on the nature of working at home. All you have to do is identify the writer in question. You buzz in with your name when you know the answer. So, Rebecca, you will say... Rebecca. Matt, you'll say... Matt. And Jim, you'll say... Jim. The remote recording has done nothing to make this any less awkward than usual. Got it? Let's go. Here's quote number one. Who said this of their approach to work? When I was young, not even a love affair would alter my schedule. A love affair had to begin after lunch. Rebecca. Rebecca. Graham Greene. It was Graham Greene in the end of the affair. Uh, Here's quote number two. Who said this about their writing regime? I get up at 4am and work for five to six hours. In the afternoon, I run or swim. Then I read a bit and listen to some music. I go to bed at 9pm. I keep to this routine every day without variation. Matt, is it... I can't remember his name. Is it that Japanese... Novelist. It is that Japanese, yes. Uh, <laughs> Haruki Tamarakami. Yes, uh, the That's Japanese the novelist. My I'll, I'll, I mean, to keep things competitive, I'm going to give you a full point there. Uh, here's quote number three. Uh, which writer described their routine like this? If I could control myself online, if I wasn't going to go down a Beyonce Google hole for four and a half hours, this wouldn't be a problem, but that is exactly what I'll do. 
Buzz with your name when you know the answer. Matt. Uh, that's Matt. Sadie Smith. <laughs> it was Sadie Smith. Is that what you said? Yes. Speaking on the Woman of the Hour podcast. I mean, basically, I think Matt's got this in the bag. But, Jim, I'm interested if you can get a point here. It was, it was from The Guardian, this article. Uh, I, I am very embarrassed that I, I've neither read my own paper's article <laughs> and have just finished reading The End of the Affair by Graham Greene and didn't recognise the <laughs> quote. So, I mean, it's going great. <laughs> OK, well, you could win it all back with this. Which novelist wrote these words in a letter to his wife? I wake at 5.30, work until 8, eat breakfast at home, work until 10, walk a flu... A f- mm? <laughs> Walk a few blocks into town, do errands, return home at 11.45, and was in bed by 10pm every night. Go on, Jim, take a guess. Shakespeare. <laughs> it was Kurt Vonnegut. Um, but uh, that does mean that Matt's the winner, so at least, we, at least we have a clear answer at the end of the show, which is nice, isn't it, to pick up all the strands. Uh, that is it for today. My thanks to Rebecca Messina, Jim Waterson and Matt Deegan. If you enjoyed our episode and you want to help us make more, why not take out a voluntary subscription? Head to themediapodcast.com slash donate and choose an amount to keep us going all year round. You can catch up with previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free via our website, themediapodcast.com. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. And until next time, bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.